On this episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness, we are honored to be joined by the University of Iowa's baseball coach, Rick Heller. We're going to be discussing how to build your culture top-down and empowering those in your program to build the culture of excellence that you want to be great at all that you do. We can't wait to get started. Here we go. All right, welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. We are honored today to have the head coach of University of Iowa Baseball, uh, Rick Keller. He's going to be talking about building a culture top-down. And uh, we're going to get started off right away with uh, with Coach Heller, just kind of giving us a brief story of how he got to Iowa. First off, Coach Heller, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know how brief it can be because it's a it's a kind of a pretty long story. But um, you know, I, I guess the thing I would tell you um, is that I believe the biggest reason that I, we're from where I started and now being the head coach at Iowa um, just stemmed from my love of the game. And I mean, I loved, I loved to play. And at 12 years old, my teachers would say, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to say, well, I'm going to play football, basketball, and baseball in college. And they'd all laugh at me. And I just like, you know, I love to play. So, you know, I, I personally had to deal with a lot um, to get to college and then, uh, once there, it wasn't traditional as far as uh, the normal college student. You know, I was married, had a kid, um, just had to work really hard to be able to do what I wanted to do. But it, at the end of the day, I knew I would be involved in athletics, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, whatever it was. I mean, baseball was was really my first love, but I loved the other sports uh, as well. You know, um, after college, wanted to wanted to play professional uh, in baseball had some tryouts, had some opportunities. It, it just didn't work out. Um, and I went out to be a high school coach in Southern Missouri, hundred, hundred resumes. And it was the only place that, uh, that, that interviewed me. And so four miles from the Arkansas border of Bakersfield, Missouri, I was teaching uh, high school and um, PE history and coaching basketball and baseball. And, and then um I got to Upper Iowa in a roundabout way. I was going to go work a, uh, a basketball camp for Bill Prohaska, who was my coach, both in baseball and basketball at Upper Iowa. And I called to see when you know he wanted me to be there, all that stuff. And I got the wrong number, and I got Mike McCready, the athletic director. And Mike and I had a conversation that Coach Pro uh, was thinking about stepping down from baseball. I uh, was you know was going to keep coaching basketball. And would I have an interest? Um, and so that's how the ball got rolling. And um, part of that deal, you had to be the residence hall director and um, take about a $10,000 pay cut from the high school job to roll the dice that uh, you could turn the program around at a place that, you know, it was pretty tough times at Upper Iowa back then with um, enrollment being down and, and how things were going there. So, but I, I knew it was my chance to coach at the college level, which is what I wanted. Um, and, and luckily they hired me, um, and, and that's where it started. But I believed, you know, from day one, um, that we could win there, that if we did things right, if we worked hard and we'll talk, like you said, about culture building, uh, later on, but, um, was, it was, a I I was the baseball coach there for 12 years after two years in the, in the residence halls, 
um, they got me over to the football side. So I was coaching receivers for 10 years, uh, in addition to being head baseball coach uh, at Upper Iowa and uh, was a very special time at the university. You know, all the programs turned around and being a part of that is a big source of pride uh, to me uh, because I love, you know, I love Upper Iowa. I love the place and all the people that helped me when I was there and to be able to to see it turn around from where it was, was really special. And then um, had the chance to, uh, to go to Northern Iowa. I wanted to coach at the highest level in baseball and uh, had the opportunity there. Rick Hartzell, who's now the AD at Upper Iowa, Rick, Rick had just been hired as athletic director. Uh, Dave Schrag, uh, who was the head coach at UNI for years, uh, had just moved on to another job. And, um, you know, fortunate for me, I was, I was offered the job and had my first chance to coach Division I baseball at Northern Iowa. Uh, another tough situation, not fully funded. We only had seven in-state scholarships com- compared to everybody else's full 11-7 in a league with Wichita State and Creighton and Missouri State and, and the likes of those teams. You know, really tough baseball league. Um, you know, didn't have our own field, shared it with, uh, you know, the Waterloo Bucks and Waterloo Stadium. Just so a lot of hurdles, but uh, to me, it was what I wanted was a chance to, to coach baseball against the best in the country and then, um, you know, had to do all the fundraising, all that stuff. And then 10 years later, um, in 2009, they dropped the program and um, was at a crossroads in my life. Pretty tough times. Um, you know, was going to go over to Creighton and help Coach Ed Service, a good friend of mine. Ed was going to get me on as an assistant. And then Ron Prettyman at Indiana State ended up hiring me in August to be the coach at Indiana State. And that that saved my saved my career. And um, we had a nice run at Indiana State. Loved my time there. Awesome. Loved Terre Haute. Loved all the people there. And then was really set on being there for for a long, long time, if not, in, you know, till retirement. And and then the Iowa job opened up after year four, and and uh, was able, you know, to 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 be involved in that. And then Gary Barta uh, decided to hire me, which was fantastic, and was able to come back home here to Iowa. And uh, and here we are. That's about as short a version as I can give you of that story. So, <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, um, the, the the thing that strikes me about about your story is that it all comes down to relationships, and and we'll talk more about that. But just how all that plays part and parcel, and 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 the reason I bring the word relationships up is because if you didn't have relationships with a guy that's on with us right now, you wouldn't be on this podcast. So, right. Coach, Coach Van Etten, would you? Would you mind jumping in a little bit and kind of speaking to your relationship with Coach Ellery? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I met Coach in like <clears throat> in 1995 when I was a freshman going to Fayette, and at that point in time, he would agree with me that I needed Upper Iowa football more than it needed me. <laughs> <clears throat> so, and you know, in the same token, I, you know, I, all those guys that were there, and I'm getting emotional because that was a that was a pivotal spot for me. But so at that point in time, that yeah, they, I needed up Iowa football. I needed Heller, Rudolph, Johnson, Blythe, all those guys more than they needed me. And I, I just remember thinking that they treated all the same players, trainers, whatever, just like they did as a day one starter, thousand yard rusher, whatever. <laughs> you know, not just necessarily at practice, not necessarily during games, but the whole time you're that I was there everybody was on the same playing field um, as far as discipline, love and all, all that stuff. And, 
And um, that's that's one thing that probably kept me on the straight and narrow. Not that I was a bad kid, but, you know, when you're 18 and you're on your own, you can go any way. You know, it can it can it can go. And and that just kind of gave me I just football was somewhat new to me because I was a late bloomer. I was tired of basketball because when you're six, four in a small town, you play basketball. And and I grew late uh, and I got football in my hands. And and so I had a little bit of a new passion and a whole bunch of 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 players and coaches that were that were just uh, the culture. If you saw it from the outside, you would thought it was a bunch of just train wrecks uh misfit land of misfit toys is one of our coaches call it right Heller? and yeah but you know you come in that circle and everybody's on the same playing field it doesn't matter if you're from chicago iowa illinois whatever the culture was okay we're here to do something and and you know it didn't it was just something for me to shoot for and that's kind of that's that's what stuck with me the whole time is is that even though you're not the guy you're still treated like the guy so um and you know and the thing with with heller is that he wasn't a big yell in your face guy but you did not want to let him down you know it wasn't like you know some of my some of my buddies like to think of it different but that's just because they want everybody to be tougher back in the day but it wasn't you didn't you you didn't you know it wasn't a it wasn't a rah rah thing either way it was we just don't want to let these guys down it doesn't matter if it's head coach, your receiver coach, your teammates, whatever. And and I'd say the same thing as those as those guys on that team is that they didn't really need me, but I needed I needed them to figure out who I was. So that, that's kind of where, you know, you, you, you meet those guys and they just stick with you forever. Whether they like it or not, <laughs> whether they like it or not. They're gonna get they're gonna get handwritten notes every other th- like third year. Like, oh Joel's still doing he's still around, I guess. But anyway. Well, that's that's amazing, Coach Van Etten. That uh, obviously you can see the impact that uh, Coach Heller has had on had on you. Um, but Coach Heller, to expand on that, you know, it's important to have a concept of your own vision as a leader. And obviously, you've been in positions throughout your career, whether it be Upper Iowa, you and I, uh, you know, now obviously at, at Iowa. But uh, could you talk about how your vision of of uh, as a leader has evolved? over the years from, you know, your time at Upper Iowa to now, obviously fast forward to your current situation at Iowa? Um, for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, I guess, and you hit it on the head. Um, I did have a strong vision of, of what I believed in and what I thought would work and how I thought um, things should be from a team standpoint. Um, you know, I had a core set of beliefs that I didn't want to waver from now at 20, you know, 23 years old, 24 years old, when I was hired at Iowa, um, primarily because nobody else wanted to take the job, <laughs> you know, it wasn't because I was special or, or really good or anything. It was the one that would take the money, live in the dorm with a family and then, and then, um, take on a program that hadn't been very good. Um, but, but I knew, I knew, I knew day one that doing things, right, uh, at least in my eyes, uh, was more important than the wins and losses on the scoreboard that we attacked each day with, with a purpose. We attacked each day uh, to try to win that day. Um, and, and, and how things have evolved. I mean, I'm, I'd like to think I'm, I'm way better at, 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 
as a leader, I'm way better at team building. I'm way better at culture building than I was when I was 24 for sure. But, but to your point, I knew, I knew that playing the game the right way, hustle, effort, energy, focusing on the things that you could control, um, you know, fixing our field, making it a source of pride, doing all those things. And to Joel's point, uh, with me is treating every single person that's involved with our program and in our lives with respect and dignity and, and, and really try to build um, leaders from within your program. And, and that's, you know, as we talk more, you know, and I've evolved as a coach, um, it's so important that you're able to build a culture where the players, your leaders within the team hold each other accountable um, when, when, we go home and they go back to their dorms or their apartments when you're as Mark Reardon at Iowa Western says the, the 20 hours you're not with them are the most important. And without the leadership that you can develop uh, as the, as the head coach or as the coaching staff um, you have no chance of that uh, program being as special as you want it. If, if there's, if there's stuff going on off the field that, that can be detrimental uh, to the team. Um, but I guess I have always, tried to be a lifelong learner, constantly um, going to clinics, constantly um, reading books, listening to books, whatever it might be to try to improve. And, and, and that's one of the areas that I always paid attention to was how, how we could build a better, stronger team. And, and, and I've always been a, a process-driven guy uh, where we focus on the task at hand and then taking it now at Iowa – uh, that focus is they hear more about, you know, doing a great job in the community, doing a great job uh, in the classroom, being good teammates, caring about your teammate more uh, than your success and, and, and those types of things as they do about uh, winning baseball games. Coach, you, you obviously have a, a clear idea of what that vision looks like from a top down perspective. But, you know, I don't know if you've heard the saying, but, you know, have everybody own their 20 square feet, meaning they're owning their part of the culture. Like What's that. what steps do you take to ensure that that everyone embraces that vision and then owns their part of the culture? What are some things that you do? Well, I think I think first and foremost is is setting the tone and getting the right guys on the bus, you know, as 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 Mr. Gordon says, um, and, and so we try to do our due diligence with our recruiting. And, and um, we've always been a, I, at least I have always been the type of guy that if I felt like this guy was too selfish or cared about himself too much, even if he was a premier player, we passed. Um, and a lot of people say, why did you pass on that guy? Well, I didn't know if he was capable of turning the corner and, and being a part of a program like ours, where it's really, really important that you're not selfish and that you care about um, others more than yourself and, and the, the bigger goals more than your own agenda. So getting the right guys on board is something that we try really hard to do. And we let them know in the recruiting process what type of program that we are. Uh, so they know coming into the program exactly what they're going to be held accountable for. And that would be the next thing is laying out exactly what you want, exactly how things need to go, and and then holding them accountable uh, to those standards that you set. And then, you know, when it's you're in the second month of the season, you, nobody's had a day off yet. 
and you're tired and you see a guy that um, is doing something that, that, that could break something down in your culture, uh, it's not looking the other way and walking away. And that's where I think a lot of guys struggle and fail in coaching is um, they feel like they have to say it. They can only, they're going to say it two or three times and then they don't say it anymore. I'm as Joel would tell you all the way back at upper Iowa, I wasn't going to scream at you, but I am not going to let you walk away if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Or I'm, I'm not, if, even if it's a, a technical aspect of the game, uh, an infield mechanics and we're doing our mechanics uh, program, I'm not going to, let you do it wrong on day 57 or day four. It doesn't matter. I'm going to try to stay as consistent as I possibly can. And, and then putting it on, putting it on the players uh, to hold each other accountable. And then our starts with our captains um, who are voted on by the team and then having meetings with the captains, giving them resources to be leaders themselves, um, letting them know that they have a say uh, in the program. When I meet with them each week, uh, and that their voice can be trusted and that the guys can come to them if they don't feel comfortable with something and that I'm going to listen. And, it, hey, that makes sense, because as you guys know, when you're coaching a bunch of guys and in football, it's even more than than uh, baseball. But in football, you know, it's usually it's your as unless you're the head coach it's uh, or the coordinator, it's your position guys. So it's a smaller group. But like with me, it's 35 guys. And I may think everything's going great. For Tim, but deep down, something's wrong with Tim that I don't know about. And having the type of leadership within your program where those guys can come to me and let me know what's going on with Tim because he's not comfortable doing it. And then we can have a conversation, fix it. And then that's that's the, the, the next thing I'm going to talk about is that in our program, we try to be great communicators and we expect the players to be able to communicate. And a lot of guys will come into the program and you can't get them to talk. You can't get them to give you a complete sentence answer and forcing them uh, to turn into an adult. You're going to have to communicate if you're going to be successful in life and, and just try to be really good communicators. Our staff breaks the team up. Uh, you know, if there's five of us, then we meet with like six or seven uh, players each week. Uh, and it rotates weekly, so a different coach each week for five weeks with the players. But we're talking about things other than baseball. We're talking about how their family's doing, their girlfriend is, you know, grandma, grandpa, um, you know, what their goals are for for life after baseball. What can we do to help you? Those types of things, because as you guys also know, um, you can say all of this, but if the players don't believe you and they don't believe in you, and you really, they really don't know that you care about them at a high level other than baseball, um, you're never going to be the team that really overachieves like we try to do. And that's how I measure our success. At the end of the season, I look in the mirror, no matter what our record is, and I say, were we able to overachieve? Were we able to, 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 to get more out of these guys than, than probably what they thought they were capable? And, and, and you do that by, by going about your business every day and, and making each guy accountable uh, for, for what it might be. I mean, we, we, we sometimes will break down tasks and job for each player within their 20 feet, as you're saying, each and every day, who, who's responsible for this, who's responsible for that. And in our program, it goes even bigger because one of the reasons we've been able to uh, really take our program to the next level is we have a manager's program where I have 22 managers that we're basically coaching as well. And each guy, each guy has a role there. We have video guys. We have field guys. 
Uh, we have guys that catch bullpens. We have guys that are high-level tech uh, guys with the new data that's out there, with the new tech that's out there, with the Rapsodo and with the TrackMan and all of that stuff uh, that are getting jobs in professional baseball because of their experience in our program. But they all they all know the system. They're held accountable to the system, just as just like the players. Uh, what's important in our program uh, and just making sure that everybody's on the same page. And that's, I guess, kind of how we do it. Yeah, you're that's totally. You're, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Coach. No, I was just going to say that's really fantastic, Coach, how you are essentially providing a, a training ground for future, whether it be managers or, you know, baseball professionals, you know, to get to the next level within your program. I haven't heard of too many programs that do that. Are you guys pretty unique in that regard? Well, I think we're we're one of the probably few that that get as much out of it as as we do. Now, there there are programs that 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 um, have a really solid quality manager program like that, where they're able to take their program uh, to, to another level. But um, we're the minority, not the majority in that category. But there are others who are doing a really good job with it as well. But I think, I think we do as good a job as anybody in the country with our program. Yeah. Hey, Coach, yeah, Coach, you were talking about like, you know, all the aspects of it, like the accountability, culture, doing things right. But I remember you said to me one time that, and this is a, at this point, this is after he's at Iowa. He's like, you know, it comes down to it. They still got to have fun. Meaning, you know, like, yeah, uh, the, you still, you still got to have fun. And, and there's a fine, you told me there's a fine line between having fun and then going too far with it. But I thought if you could talk about maybe some of the things you try to do um, as, as far as that goes, because I, I feel like you see that with youth sports, you know, there isn't, there isn't enough work for these kids to do, but they want, but their parents want them to be active and learn life's life lessons. So all there's left is, is, is sports. So then, you know, when they, when they go to baseball or football practice, they view that as the work. Cause there's, you know, back in the day, football and baseball was the break from working. Now that unfortunately it, it seems like some of that work has gone away. So now you're trying to teach them through that sport, you know? So. Uh, just well, no, you're, you're right, Joel. There, there's so many, <clears throat> there are so many things, um, so many little things to building a good culture um, that too, you know, too many to talk about. But that is one of the major ones is that fun has to be part of the equation, at least in my belief. And when we talk about fun, I guess everybody has their own definition of that. Uh, for me, it is making the practice competitive, upbeat, good energy, not negative energy, not scream and yell, not in your face. Now, that, does does that happen from time to time if somebody's, you know, being deviant or not paying attention or whatever it might be? Sure. I mean, sure. to a degree, to a degree, maybe. Uh, but if you guys came to one of our practices, especially in the fall, um, I mean, it's just upbeat, snapping around, flying around, having fun, talking to each other. Um, but it's the right kind of talk. It's it's encouragement or it is technical or it is something that is really important on a team defense. And you guys coach football, so it's, it's no different there. I mean, uh, my football background really helped me with my baseball practice organization on how we deviated the time. So, you know, we, we, we don't overkill in practice because I think that's what becomes boring and not fun is when you overkill a drill or you overkill something. And that's the, the big issue as a baseball coach and especially a youth baseball coach is your challenge is 
to make it so they're moving around, they're enjoying to be being out there. And I think back, you know, I loved it. It didn't matter what they did. I was going to play regardless. But think about, you know, standing in left field picking dandelions while the coach flipped balls to guys taking 10 swings and then everybody went home. You got 10 swings, you stood out there in the outfield and picked dandelions. I mean, that's that's honestly that is what has hurt baseball over the years was that kids would get bored with it. And I would always challenge coaches at the Iowa high school baseball clinic when they would ask me to speak, it is up to you guys to come up with a great practice plan. Here's how we do it. Boom. We go from this, we go to that, we go to this, use people to help you. The more coaches, the more hands, and it goes to our managers program. The more people you have uh, that can help you, the more creative you can become with your practice and with your drills and with the stuff that you do to make it more fun. And then, um, you know, trying to keep the games competitive, play for something, um, you know, whatever it might be. If you watch a scrimmage in the fall, I mean, we even have point, we have a point system where if you get off the field in 10 seconds uh, after the last out, you get two points. If you, if you're slower than 13 seconds, the other team gets a point. I mean, it's just constantly going all the time to, to try to keep them locked in because the quality of the practice is, is what, you know, is most important, not, not the quantity, uh, quantity without focus or purpose is just basically idle time, a waste of time. So trying to get them to maximize their focus within the drills you're doing. And we chart a lot of stuff. Uh, we track a lot of stuff. If you went into our indoor cages, we've got targets up. Uh, we have radar guns up and kids love that stuff. You know, they, they hit the ball. They want to see how hard they hit the ball. And, and, and it actually helps you. It really helps you coach because you're not given all these technical, um, you know, tips all the time. And it's like, here's the deal. Uh, you have to be, you know, after two weeks, we know what your average is. Your average exit velo is 85 miles an hour. If you're not within two of your average, you're out of the cage. All right. Well, they got to figure it out and they got to make it. They got to, they got to make You know, they not, they're out. Well, the next thing you know, you know, their pitch selection gets a lot better. Why? Because we all know you can't hit bad pitches hard, right? They're not just in there swinging. So now they're taking the pitches that they need to because they know they have to hit the ball hard to get the next rep. And we do the same thing with launch angle games. You know, we want your launch angle, you know, between 10 and 20 right now. All right. If it's not between 10 and 20, all right, next guy in. And and we compete, hit and runs, whatever it might be. And, and we just try to keep it competitive. We log a lot of data. It takes a lot of work. That's where the managers come in but it gives you a lot of feedback for the players. And, and in today's world, you know, we're so lucky. Uh, things like this that we're doing right now didn't exist when, when I was coming up, um, you know, Twitter, I, I, this is, this is the truth. I'm not the, the world's best Twitter sharer, but I'm a great Twitter stealer. And I mean, almost, almost every night, I'm taking something from somebody out there who is sharing awesome stuff, great drills. I mean, I'm pulling four and five drills a week uh, that I can use. I mean, I would tell, be the first one to tell you um, I'm kind of a, a routine-oriented guy, and I know what works, and I know what we have to do, and we're going to go. Um, I'm open. I'm open-minded, and I, I'm always open to great ideas. But I'm sometimes not the most creative with coming up those types of, with those types of things. So that's where I really challenge my staff. Hey, if you see something we can do better, say it. I, I you can always tell me, um, and and I'll learn from those guys, even the players. I mean, they, they did something in high school. Boom, tell me what it was because I want to see it, and let's try it. And and now uh, with with the Twitter world and all the stuff online. Man, it's just a, a fantastic learning time in the baseball world, especially. 
um, that wasn't there even five, seven years ago. Um, you know, you would go years and struggle to find anybody that could get you something new from a drill standpoint and outfield play or whatever it might be. And now, like I said, you can pick up that stuff uh, three or four a night if you're if you're on there looking for it. So, Coach, you know, I, I'm listening to you and I, you know, I, you mentioned that you have you talk to you use your captains quite a bit to kind of help police your program and to know when things aren't maybe functioning as well as they should. And you talk about, you know, assistant coaches have the ability to, you know, give you feedback or, or give drills and things like that if to hopefully maybe give you guys a, a better edge in, in playing. But what are some other ways that you empower your coaches in your program to, you know, have feel like they're making an impact or maybe even, you know, I, I, I always loved having coaches on my staff that had a, uh, the drive to want to be a head coach, you know, later mm -hmm. on, because you know that they're going to be willing to put in that work. I mean, uh, some people might feel a little threatened by that, but, you know, I think that you want to have those people surrounding you. Right. No, I totally agree, coach. I, I've always lived by that. And, um, you know, it's funny at, at upper Iowa, uh, Mark Danker was my assistant for 10 years. And, um, you know, w that was, the only two full-time coaches in baseball. So we were together a long time. And then when I got to UNI, uh, most of the coaches were there with me for extended periods of time. And now at Iowa, with what we're doing in our program, I have, um, I've lost six, six guys in the last four years to professional baseball. And, you know, losing, losing a good coach at the wrong time at the semester like, like uh, has happened to us, that's a challenge. Uh, within itself, but I always I read a book I read a book a long time ago at Woody it was Woody Hayes's biography and he wouldn't hire any assistant coach that he didn't think was smarter than him you know contrary to what a lot of guys think because of that fear or whatever it might be I'm I'm looking first and foremost I have to believe that person is a good teammate and that he is going to come in and preach the culture that that I believe is important to win. Uh, win in life, win in games. Uh, so that's first and foremost is finding the right person personality-wise and then empowering them to to be able to come to me with any idea they have and, and understand that I'm never, ever uh, going to take offense to it. And in fact, <laughs> it, it, I, I got this from football because I would sit in staff meetings and it was frustrating to me as a receiver coach that I couldn't say something that might be perceived as negative to the DB coach or to the linebacker coach, or, you know what I mean? If I had an idea, I kind of had to keep it to myself because then we, then, you know, don't talk to my guys. You keep your nose out of my business. And I seen some of that, you know, and, and I thought, well, this is stupid. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help. And, and you can say anything you want to me. I would love the, the guy to come up and say, Hey, your receivers aren't doing this very well. We need to look at that. Holy cow, you're right. Let's get better. Let's go. That's how I am. So that's how our staff meetings are. Um, if somebody says something to the pitching coach, he isn't going to take offense that we're saying he's doing a bad job. He's going to take it as, oh, that makes sense. Let, let me look at that and let's get better. Or the pitching coach can come to us and say, hey, I see this with the hitters. We got we to gotta make some changes. So empowering them and know they're not going to get yelled at or fired or, or a kick to the curb because they express themselves uh, is first and foremost. And after a few months, um, you know, 
they see that it's that it's factual. It's not BS. And, um, you know, that's how it works. I've been blessed with Marty Sutherland. You know, Marty played for me at at UNI. And then uh, I think he coached with me six or seven years there. And now he's been with me all seven years uh, here at Iowa. So we're the two that have been here the whole time. And, uh, you know, we've gone through some other coaches that have had opportunities either professionally or paid jobs at bigger schools and we've lost them. But um, again, I'll go back to, yes, now we're an attractive place for assistant coaches to want to come, but it has to be the right fit from a personality standpoint. It can't be a me driven selfish type person um, or it won't work with me. Just that's how I, that's how I see it. Coach, really appreciate your thoughts on uh, how to keep open communication, embracing the ideas of your staff members. Um, how do you handle those coaches um, and players, quite honestly, who don't embrace the vision of what you're doing? Well, with 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 a player, um, it starts with a lot of nurturing. I mean, a lot of individual meetings, a lot of communication. It goes back to communication. It's um, it's avoiding just letting that guy go and then talking to your staff about what Johnny's doing that's making you mad. If you know, and that's something in our coaches' meetings. If if we don't want it to turn into a you know a complaint session about so and so's attitude or so and so's behavior, so and so's effort. Um, if if you see it, we need to address it and we need to talk about it and we need to communicate and it's trying not to give up on that player and give him a chance to turn the page and try to help him. Um, th because it's there, all the stuff that we're talking about um, are going to be things that will cost him his job once he graduates from here. And, and that's where we always try to put it. It's like, listen, if you're doing this in the real world, you're going to get fired. I mean, there's not going to be four powwows where we come in and have to talk and talk and talk. Um, you know, we're not going to give up, but then again, at a certain point, I, I believe in being very direct and very specific with my requests, but at a certain point, if that player continues to, to not buy in or, or be selfish or get into trouble off the field or not go to class or whatever the issue might be, then there comes a time that, um, you have to part ways because, if you, if if they're not going to be on the bus, then they got to get off the bus. But that doesn't mean you do it right away and you just part ways the first time. I, I really believe in trying to help kids, and most all of them will eventually come around if you you find the reason for the deviant behavior or whatever it might be. And that's that's a challenge right there. A lot of a lot of times we just look at the behavior when it when the reality of it is we need to figure out where it's coming from and try to dig deep with that player and find out where it's coming from. Because once you find that, then you have a chance to fix it until then you probably don't. He might be able to fool you uh, when you're with him, but you want the kid to make the full 180. Uh, he, he really has to want to do it. And he has to buy in. Uh, so that's, that's what I would do. And then it's no different with the coach. I mean um, it's just communication. And then if it's not going to, uh, if if you're if you're not going to mesh, then at some point you just have to part ways. So, coach, when you I mean, great way to end that because it segues right into our next question. Here is you know, is it possible to quote unquote save everyone? And I think you kind of answered it there with I mean, 
after so many discussions, you eventually just maybe just realize that your vision isn't aligning with, you know, whoever it may be, a coach, a player's vision or someone in your program. And it, and it is, is time to part ways. But I guess the question would be then is how do you know when that, when that happens well, or when it's come to that? I guess for me, it's, it's when you can really tell that it starts to affect the group, the, the big group, how it, you know, how it affects the team overall. Um, most teams, if you have a strong culture, can survive a freshman, for example, that isn't fitting in because everybody kind of takes uh, responsibility. All the players, they do their part to try to get the guy uh, to get on board the bus and, and, and move it in the direction that we all want to move it to. Um, on a program, if you're in a place that doesn't have uh, strong leadership from within, it's harder to find and it's harder to tell what the issue is. Um, I guess for me, it starts to get to that point when the captains may come in and go, listen, hey, Coachella, uh, we've done this, we've done this, we've tried this. He, he, he just not, he's not buying in. He's not, he's not believing in what we're trying to do. And then calling them in, being very specific with what you're asking them to do. Can you do that? Do you want to do that? Why aren't you doing that? Those types of things. And then um, at the end of the year meeting that you, that we always have, we always have an exit meeting and then just really laying it out there the type of person, the type of player, the type of teammate that you're expecting them to be if they show back up in the fall. Because after one year of it, your chances uh, of making it, if you continue to do that, lessen, if that makes any sense. There are probably coaches that, that disagree with that. I've heard coaches say you never give up on somebody. Um, and even for me, parting ways doesn't always mean you give up for them. Maybe they just need a fresh start in a new place to, to, to go out and, and figure it out for themselves or maybe play for somebody else whose standards are different, who believe different things. Um, you know, it's not perfect and, and not saying it's always a perfect fit, but that's generally how we do it. And once, once it starts to affect uh, everyone, so to speak, um, that's when it has, has to be, the decision has to be made. But it sounds like you're still, when you have that end of the year meeting, you kind of draw that line in the sand and say, hey, here are our non-negotiables within our program. If you can if you can get on board with that, we'd, we'd love to have you along for the ride. Correct. So it still sounds like you're, yes. you're, you're giving them that option. Yeah. So essentially, they're, if they can't do it, they're self-removing themselves from the Correct. Team. I mean, if you, you know, here's, this, here, here's, here's the list. If you can't do this, then... You, you know the situation. We're not going to look away. You have to make a decision. Do you want to be here? you want to be a part of this or not? And then also at that point, um, for me, it's probably calling mom and dad and letting them know how the situation is, how dire the situation has become, and um, not to listen to excuses or not to, any, to um, you know, put it on them, but you, you know, basically letting them know, even though these guys that I'm coaching are technically adults, at that point, I think it's important that the parents know where the situation has gotten to. And if these things aren't met, then, you know, he won't be on the team very long next year. So, Coach, I know that you, you feel character is a huge part of 
some of the core things that you're looking for in recruiting uh, athletes and from your staff. And um, but when you're setting up that vision and you're pushing it down, what are some of the the core value absolutes that you feel are fundamental um, that everyone needs to be on the same page about? Um, first and foremost is um, being humble and unselfish. I've never had a I've never had a player in my career that overachieved that wasn't humble, um, that that didn't care more about. I've had good players that weren't humble, but I would not say they exceeded their level of talent. Um, but the guys who really, really excel uh, are, are guys who generally care uh, more about the good of the cause than themselves or their own agenda. So that's that's one with me that's non-negotiable. Um, the other is 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 effort, energy, attitude. Uh, those three things. Um, our guys would tell you. I, I talk about those virtually every day. Um, if if you don't if you don't give a great effort, um, you're probably not going to play. It's just as simple as that. And then if you don't give a great effort for an extended period of time, there's probably a good chance that you won't be here at some point. So hard work, work ethic, great effort, um, good of the cause as far as uh, that goes. I mean, those are all the things. It really isn't anything magic. It isn't anything really hard. It, it's basically just um, showing up with great energy, uh, good effort, and, and giving me your best focus when we're working um, within a team framework. And, and, and then that's the baseball side of it. And then off the field, like I said, doing a good job in the dorms, doing a good job in the community, keeping your nose clean, uh, being a good representative of what an Iowa baseball player is and, uh, you know, doing a good job in the classroom, weight room, diet. We challenge them with everything they do. Um, and, and those are the things that we ask them to do and then simply hold them accountable uh, for those things. Um, you know, like I said, it isn't, anything crazy. I mean, the first meeting I had when I got the job at Iowa, I just simply, I think all of them thought that I was going to tell them that I was going to cut all of them and bring in all new guys. And, and I think they were all scared that, but all, all we did was ask them to change uh, what, what Iowa baseball meant. And we didn't talk about winning a baseball game. We didn't talk about baseball really much at all, but just changing how we went about our business each day, uh, get into a growth mindset, challenged them to, you know, if they bought in, if they bought in until Christmas with all the things we were talking about off the field, you know, classroom, being a good person, all those things, effort, energy, that the wins would take care of themselves. And we were just fortunate that we had a group of guys who were really hungry for that. And uh, they all bought in for the most part. And because of that, um, you know, we were able to get the ball rolling pretty quick, had, they not bought in, you know, it could have been, it would have been a pretty miserable time and it would have taken a couple of recruiting classes to get us going. Um, but, you know, I was very fortunate to have that group that that's what they were looking for. Uh, someone that was going to set a standard and hold them accountable. So coach, I think, you know, to be honest with you, when you're talking about uh, eventually having a conversation with the, someone's parents you know at the you know we deal with parents a lot at the high school level uh obviously probably maybe even more so than we want to 
you know, right. at, at certain times. But, uh, you know, foolishly, I think uh, sometimes, you know, as, as coaches, we all think that at the Division One level that you guys aren't having to deal with parents. But it sounds like you do still have to have conversations with parents. Well, I feel really blessed that the parents we've had um, have been great. Um, but again, it comes down to communication with those parents um, and letting them know um, what we're expecting from the guys, letting them know that <clears throat> we're not going to take calls about Johnny's playing time, or we're not going to take calls about a baseball issue at the very worst until that player comes in and addresses us first uh, as an adult, because I believe that, you know, our primary job here is, yes, we want to win baseball games, but build great men who are going to be uh, a part of our society as good husbands, good dads, good employees, whatever they decide to be. Um, that's first and foremost. And it starts with, um, and it's hard for some parents because they've been so involved uh, getting that kid to a point where he is a great player. Let's face it. If a kid's a great player, he's a division one player. The parents have made a lot of sacrifices and I think we need to respect that. And, and they've done a lot to get that kid to that position. Um, but there, there's a time and a place for everything. If there's an issue off the field with grandparents, something's going on. I want those calls from parents. I want those, that dialogue and communication. Um, but I also want them to understand that if we're at a game and Joel goes 0 for 3 and I think he had a great game because he moved a runner, um, you know, he had a sack fly, he had some quality at-bats, he hit a ball hard right at somebody, his quality at-bat chart was 2 for 3, whatever it might be, and I think he did well. And he gets out after the game and mom and dad are saying – man, Joel, you're 0 for 3 again. Your batting average is this. Holy cow, let's go. Um, you know, that kills what we're trying to do. I mean, let's face it. I mean, no matter what I say or what I talk about and what our culture is, it can be tore down very quickly as soon as they walk out the door if they're getting beat up verbally by their parents or this or that or whoever it might be in their life that is talking to them uh, about a non-process program if they're just focusing on results. So we try hard. You know, I write a letter at Christmas, just really reminding the parents uh, of how this process works. And the best thing for me, if, if I can get this to the parents, is tell them you love them, tell them you support them. If you're gonna take them to dinner, try not to talk about any baseball. I know that's probably impossible, but I let them know that. I think that's, that's gonna help your kid be the best player that he can possibly be. Now, obviously, we all know that's a dream world, but I, I put it out there that way because I believe that the best players are getting supported, loved, building up positive because baseball is a failure-oriented sport more than any other sport, and it's so mental once kids start to lose their confidence. So my job is to build confidence and build belief that that even on bad days, if you're 0 for, if you're 0 for 8 or 0 for 9, that next at bat is – the most important at bat of your life, you know, it's the next one, the next pitch. And, and if you don't have the family on board with that, um, it makes it very, very difficult um, to do. But um, like I said, for the most part, because we do communicate and we communicate this with our parents in the recruiting process, um, man, it's been a great experience with the parents yeah. I've had in our programs. I, I, I love it. I know I hear horror stories and, 
uh, from others. And I know how tough it is, especially for the high schools and, and even the youth sports. It's, it's very, very difficult. And I see, you know, I had two daughters that played, uh, you know, all the way through softball, uh, pretty high level softball, basketball. I got another 10 year old right now going through it again. I mean, you see some crazy stuff out there, um, not only with parents, but with coaches and screaming, yelling, demeaning, uh, crazy stuff. I, I, I don't envy you guys at all with that, but, yeah. but I try to control it as best I can by, again, getting the right people on the bus to start with. Well, I think you made a great point, Coach, and I know that Coach Lovell and myself have emphasized this in the programs that we've been a part of is, you know, the best thing as a parent, what you can do for your child is uh, when they get in the car after practice or a game or whatever, just tell them, you know, how awesome it was to to watch them play and, and with their teammates and and not really even talk about any plays specifically or their performance, but just how you loved watching them go out there and compete. And, you know, that's one of the best things you can do. And, and you know, unfortunately, in this entitlement society that, that we live in now, um, you know, I think that, you know, too many parents take that, take their kids' athletic performance as a direct reflection of them as a parent instead of just, you know, loving their child kind of deal. Oh, I agree. And it sounds like yeah. you're preaching Coach, a lot of the, Coach, the same told, things we do. Told, so it's, it's great for us a to lot hear of stuff that. that you're going to hear today can actually be doing, applicable. So like, I can't thank you enough in, in regards to that. Well, to add to that. Or a family sense or whatever that sense is, you know. Um, and Try to um, get the parents to reward effort It like more than anything. Just kind of touch base on reward effort. Did you I think it's great effort. Completely amazing how you've been able to just move uh, it through the most all different sizes. of all, whether it's you know, in the we classroom can use this on the in, field in, or wherever in, it might in, be. In your business sense, you can um, use it for your controlling your key ball and you your can use it at the dinner table. Um, most important things. But I would just, me. you know, what's what's the main thing that you've been able to do just to, I guess, to focus on and move it through the different levels? Or does it even really matter? I guess. I guess it's probably more the more the idea there, but. Um try to think of the best way to answer that. I guess um, it, you hit it on the head, Joel. It's not, it's not magic. I mean, the most successful people in business, whatever it might be, they're all doing it the same way. If they're, if they're, if they're <laughs> great leadership uh, from the top on rewarding effort, rewarding, uh, you, you know, obviously re results are what we get judged by. And ultimately in our, in our world, you know, get fired, and, and hired. And um, so, so, so I think what happens is a lot of people get caught up in the results and things they can't control. Uh, but I've always been a believer. And I think it's because I would tell you, and you know, this from being with me, even in football practice, um, I just loved, I just loved the competition. I loved to play. It was fun. Um, you know, I, I mean, and so, so I would tell you, Fall, fall baseball is really my favorite time of the year because it's all about player development. We've been talking more, you know, big picture culture type things. But for me, I mean, I, I would tell you I am a player development guy and that goes deeper than baseball. It goes on and off the field and it, and it doesn't waver uh, very much. I try to improve at it uh, as best I can each and every year. I try to continue to get better just like I ask the players to do be a, and be a lifelong learner. Uh, but I love to see kids uh, get better. I love to see them work. I love to see them uh, do it together so that when we get to the games 
Okay. A lot of, a lot of times I, and I've seen it as we played other teams, the, the guys don't play with a relaxed focus mm-hmm. and confidence that's going to allow them uh, to win consistently, if that makes any sense. And I would like to think that when you watch our guys play, they play free, they play easy, they, they, but they play hard and they play with confidence. They, they play with a sense of urgency, but they don't hurry. Um, we put them in situations in practice that are faster than what they're going to see in the game so that they can slow down. Oh, well, the, the, I just we finished the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. What they're going to have um, to play. You know, I really when, like when how she starts. defines and that. I, goes that's through the different fine, avenues right? that's their to fine. build grit, and find my grit. My job is to get them to that um, point. You know, direction with determination and, and, is really what uh, she right. calls and grit. You know, you guys, those are the people go out that have tend to be most successful. Talent is overrated, but effort and attitude are really are really tantamount in the process. So much to what you've spoken about already. side of the game that we really try to do a great job I guess in wrapping There's up, so many teller, facets I, I can't tell you how much I've thing. learned. I've got, uh, but I've I would got tell you, Joel, I've tried to be consistent today. with those um, beliefs, even when it, as a young kid ab- that didn't know it's anything. It's been an absolute joy for us to have I, you I did on have the podcast the today. Thought that that's we know the you have a lot going on. That makes um, any but, sense. You know, and then the I've just tried to build on that and get better. We couldn't think of somebody better to come in and speak. And I would tell you, I would tell you this: get better as a leader. I always used to say, "A lot to think about." This is nothing against any of the players that I had for making that connection possible. Division three upper Iowa because I had some really good players. If someone wanted to reach out to you with questions on on how to build their program, what would be a way that they could reach? I'm saying we, our staff and our program with what we do, and if we could get to the highest level where we awesome. had the same awesome. advantages from a recruiting standpoint, Coach Van Etten, the Coach Van Etten, Coach Mathis, thanks for uh, being on today. And we could bring in the uh, we're going to wrap player, up, and the, if you like what we've talked that about out today, uh, that our program rate, would review, subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google. Roll the balls um, out and we are looking forward to the next time we get to speak with Coach Taylor. But until then, that's why chasing life and greatness and all that we do. Thanks for joining us today. Where we have the same opportunity to be able to recruit the best players in the country because I feel like our program and our system would enable us to win at a high level on the field as well as off the field. But on the field, uh, I just thought it would work. I had people telling me all oh, that, that player development stuff and all the drill work and all the structure and all the discipline and all that. I won't work with those type guys. Uh, that's wrong. I mean, it'll, those guys will thrive with that and they'll get, they'll improve. They just won't stay the same or, or go backwards. So, so coach, I'm really interested to, to know this, you know, I can tell that you, you mentioned that growth mindset that you have, um, but who are some of the more impactful leaders that, you know, have made this, uh, impression on you to, to allow you to get to where you are. And then a follow-up to that is I can tell that y- you do have that growth mindset. So, you know, Tim and I, we, we kind of wanted to start adding to our, our podcast and, and ask all our guests, you know, what's probably, you know, something on your nightstand or something that you've been reading or you've read that's had a powerful impact on you, you know, because obviously, you know, whether it be Joshua Metcalf or John Gordon, you know, there's some some pretty powerful authors out there that, you know, I know a lot of coaches ha- have turned to, to 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 take a look at. So, well, a lot of people, um, a lot of people are responsible for where I'm at. That's for sure. And it starts <clears throat> back in high school um, with a guy named Bob Gerard. He was my football coach and my track coach. And he was the one that drove me uh, up to Upper Iowa and 
told me in my situation that he felt like this was a place that I could survive and the people there would help me uh, get through it. Uh, his old coach, Don Butterball, was there. Um, and and those guys, those if it wasn't for Coach Gerard sticking me in that car and taking me up there, my life would have turned a completely different direction probably, or I would have made a decision to go to a bigger school where I would have probably got lost in the shuffle. And it was the perfect fit, and he knew it, and and I respected him enough to, to listen to what he said, and it was – the best decision I made. And, you know, Bill Prohaska helped me a ton when I was there. And then uh, the guy that really, really stepped in um, and, and was my mentor was a guy named Mike McCready. And I don't know if you guys have heard of Mike, but Mike was, Mike was a, a heavyweight wrestler, a national champion, uh, both in track and field and in wrestling at Northern Iowa, uh, gold medal winner in the Pan Am games, um, you know, was in the era with Chris Taylor, the big wrestler from Iowa State. Uh, but Mike Mike was the AD that hired me at Upper Iowa, and he took me under his wing, and and he would teach me all the stuff that that he thought was important <laughs> on and off the field. He, tried, he told me to start saving money even when I wasn't making money and put it into this account because you're going to need it. And, I mean, he if it wasn't for Mike, um, you know, taking a chance on me, uh, I mean, I would not that this is bad, but I would – probably still be coaching high school because as you guys know it's very difficult to make a jump from high school to college and having that opportunity to to be hired at uh by mike at upper iowa when i was 23 and just turned 24 right after that um you know was the break that i needed at that time a lot of people told me i was an idiot for taking it but (laughs) but 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 i knew deep down in my heart that he wouldn't let me down and that he would help me through it and i learned a lot about trust and toughness through Mike. So he's one of them. And then another one would be uh, a guy named Rick Matthews from Centerville, Iowa. Uh, Rick has worked for the Colorado Rockies for years and years and started out at Eddyville High School where my uncle Warren taught and then moved up to Marshalltown and then to Iowa Western and then to Indian Hills and then with the Royals and you know, a small town Iowa guy uh, from Cincinnati, Iowa. If you guys don't, you probably wouldn't know that, but a little dinky town south of Centerville right by the Missouri border and um, you know, he took me under his wing when I got the job at Upper Iowa, and he's always been there as a resource and someone I could count on, and smartest baseball guy I know. And, uh, you know, Rick Rick really, really has been great in my life and really appreciate all he's done for me. And and then all my assistants, I learned from every single one of them. The, 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 the leaders, those are the two big or three big ones that, that, that got me going where I needed to, and then I've had – so many, you know, in my career, 30, 35 years, I mean, I've, I, it's too many to mention, but I've got so many guys within each department that were big uh, and, and supportive. And, you know, the guys that gave me job, Rick Hartzell and Ron Prettyman and, and Gary Barta and the, the other guys I work for, uh, you know, the, the support staff guys who were um, tremendous too. I just so many guys. And then, okay. Lost train of thought. Where, where where do you want me to go? Oh, the 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 books. What the books. books have you been reading, Coach? Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the name of the author, but the one I'm reading right now is called Moments, uh, and it and it talks about um, how us as coaches can and teachers and leaders can can really help build confidence and build um, memories and positive things. Uh, by making moments out of situations 
that are commonplace. You know what I mean? We Our big moments are birthdays and anniversaries, but why can't we have a moment at practice where we celebrate this? And, and, and that kid will remember that, you know, when he's 50 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite halfway through it, but that's the one I'm, I'm reading right now. Uh, I, I read all of, um, as you said, Gordon's books are tremendous for teams. I usually buy a lot of them for my team uh, and, and the captains. And so that book, uh, all his books, um, you know, we've bought all of them for our guys to read at times. Uh, I read Metcalf's book, Burn Your Goals. I really like that. Um, you know, that was imp- and actually got a chance to meet him. Uh, he came and worked with our volleyball team uh, and, and had a chance to sit down yeah. and talk with him. Uh, for a while, and I, I thought that his stuff was really, really good, and really works to a process-driven uh, focus. Um, I, I've been reading a lot of stuff um, by. Uh, I've always read a lot of stuff by Brian Kane. He's a mental skills coach, and Brian, a lot of the things. If you're watching us play, uh, Brian has a, a big role in our 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 routines. I'm a big believer in having routines, and we talk like. When the you-know-what hits the fan and it's going to hit the fan, you better have something to hang your hat on, right? And 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 so so we we break it down and we teach routines from in the hole, on deck, in the box, in between pitch, all this stuff. And I learned so much from Brian Kane uh, about the 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 use of positive routines to build confidence and stay in the moment and um, and just play the game one pitch at a time. Um, Gosh, drawing a blank. Uh, I, I read a book called Legacy that was really good. If you haven't read that, that's an awesome book. Uh, and it really lends itself well to what we were talking about uh, with the culture and, and what you want to derive from your culture. I had our captains read that book. Awesome book. Um, I'm trying to think of the name. I'm terrible with uh, with, with, with titles. But um, What's the one that's out there that, uh, about how to break bad habits? That's the one I read um, uh, probably about six months ago. But that was that was a tremendous, tremendous book uh, on how to get yourself um, to be able to break habits. I can look it up on my phone real quick if you want to. But anyway, those are some of that, I, that I've been doing. And then um, let me see here. I think I can tell you. Maybe. What are you guys reading? Well, some of the ones that you've read, and I, we've also read. I, I, you know, I can't agree, or can't disagree with you more, or I can't agree more. Excuse me about legacy. I thought that just talking about the culture of how you know that that program with the All Blacks and New Zealand yeah. has has been established, and how they how they continue to pass on that tradition onto one another is just an unbelievable book. And you know, I have a son who plays rugby, and so. Uh, that's something that I, you know, I'm passing on to him, uh, just because he's a fan of it. And um, you know, uh, another one that's not a very uh, long read at all, but it's by the the admiral in the navy. Uh, make your yep. bed. Um, you know, just talking about you know how to how to make a goal and completing a goal, and just you know <laughs> it can be a goal starting off so small as just making your bed every morning. Uh, you know, it's been some of the more impactful ones for me. Yeah, I like Coach that. Level. Do you have any to add in there? I, I just, I just read before you start, Tim. Um, Corey, uh, Corey McDonald, high school coach at New Hampton High School. His son Cole graduated, and that's he bought that book for me when Cole graduated, and told me thanks um, for coaching Cole. But that that was a great one, and the one that 
I was talking about is called It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are honored that you chose to spend your time with us. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform where you find your favorite podcasts. Let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.